If you've got your Bibles with you today, turn with me really, really quickly to John chapter 4. We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. John chapter 4. And uh, at the beginning of every year, we spend most, if not all, of January and then most, if not all, of February uh, focusing on these spiritual disciplines. That might be a new term for you, but spiritual disciplines are just those holy habits that help us to grow and mature and develop our spiritual muscles. And they're things like Bible study and prayer and witnessing and, and serving and giving. And as we're going to be looking at and learning about today, worship. My pastor Adrian Rogers put it far better than I could. Dr. Rogers said, worship is the bottom line of all of life. It is life's ultimate priority, highest good, supreme duty, and maximum privilege. And yet we're living in a day and age, aren't we, where there is often a, a whole lot of conflict and coldness and complacency. There's carelessness and even a, a critical spirit by those who come to worship in God's house on God's day. I came through the time in the uh, 70s and 80s that we would refer to as the worship wars. My, my generation was the first generation to, to ask to put a drum kit on the stage. We were the generation that wanted to start singing the praise uh, choruses, and we had these song sheets and, and all those sorts of things. And it became a real problem in a lot of churches. Churches divided over it and fought over it and, and led Dr. Elmer Towns to write a book entitled Putting an End to Worship Wars. And so People have realized that there is a problem, but so many times the solutions that people give for remedying the problem of misunderstood or misplaced worship focuses only on the externals and very seldom does it focus on the internal and the eternal. It is more a matter of the hymnal and hands and so very often not a matter of the heart and of heaven. And so that's why so many times the solutions that are given for the problem of worship, they center around the style of worship. Brad? We need to start singing more modern songs like my friends do over at their church across town. Pastor, we need to pull the hymnals out and start singing those good old hymns like we sang when I was growing up in the 60s and 70s. Dr. Whip, we need to put the organ back on the stage and, and have a reverent, respectable, uh, formal, liturgical worship service like the church that, that I was raised in. We need to raise our hands and clap our hands and, 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 and jump up and down and get happy in God's house. Or on the other side, we need to quit all this happy, clappy stuff and we need to get more serious and, and somber. In, in church. If we could just do all of that, then all of our problems, our worship problems would be solved. I don't think so. I think our problems are way deeper than that. And that's why this morning, as we continue in our series forward together, we're going to be looking at worship and we're going to be looking at and learning from one of the if not indeed the foundational, this is the classic, the pivotal passage on worship in all the pages of your Bible. It's John chapter 4, picking up in verse 4. I didn't do this in the other services. It was a mistake, so I'm going to remedy that right now. Would you stand to your feet? It's a long passage. I know you just sat down. And if you don't need to stand up, if you can't stand up, that's fine. But I think if you need to stretch, it's a long passage. You might go to sleep on me. I might see you. I might make the mistake. My filter may not work. I might call you out in front of everybody, and then I get in trouble, and I want to try not, not to do that. John chapter Chapter 4, picking up in verse 4. But he needed to go through Samaria. He needed. Why? Because that's not the short route. That's the long way around. He needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. 
Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. You're going to find out why that's important in just a minute. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said I have no husband. For you've had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke the truth. They spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. In the 80s, we would have said, duh. <laughs> Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Thank you, you may be seated. It's an amazing passage, right? It's a pivotal passage on worship in all the pages of your Bible. And I love how Jesus speaks truth right into the life of this woman. Adrian Rogers again called her the shady lady of Samaria. I think that's a pretty good title, the shady lady of Samaria. And it would have been very, very tempting to, for Jesus when he's having this conversation with this woman to try to make her feel better. I mean, there she is in the middle of the day drawing water from Jacob's well. The Bible makes it a point to tell us because it's, it's, it's emphasizing the ostracization that, that she felt. She didn't come here when it was cool with the other women of the town. She came in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, when the sun was at its highest and, and hottest because she knew what the other women in town thought about her and said about her behind her back. And so she was bound by sin and she was blinded by Satan and she was broken by sorrow. And it would have been very, very tempting for Jesus to try and comfort her and, you know, and just tell her, uh, you know, town folks had, had gotten her and treated her wrong. They had done her wrong and, and God was going to make everything okay. God was going to take care of her. But he didn't do that. Know what he did in this conversation with this woman at the well. He, he, because of his love and concern for her, he spoke uncomfortable truth into her life. And in doing that, Jesus ends up having the most important conversation that he ever had on worship while he was here on this planet with a serial adulteress. 
What an amazing manifestation. What a powerful illustration of the grace and the mercy of God. Can't you just see it? Put on your spiritual imagination hat, if you will. You've got one of those, don't you? I put on my spiritual imagination hat, and so I can just see it back there in eternity's past when uh, the Godhead announces to the angels of heaven, we've taken counsel among ourselves, the members of the Godhead, the Trinity, and we've decided that the incarnate Lord Jesus is going to have his most important conversation on worship with a serial adulteress from Samaria. And I can just see all the angels' hands in the back of the room shooting up in the air. The angels began to ask the Lord, Lord, don't you think that's a mistake? Don't you think that it would be better to have that conversation with David or with Isaiah or maybe even with Paul? And the Godhead replies, no, Jesus is going to have the most important, significant conversation upon the subject of worship in the history of the world with that woman in Samaria. I don't know about you, but that blows my mind and blesses my heart. To understand how the sovereign God of the universe displays his gracious, good, merciful, loving pursuit of sinners in this pivotal passage on worship. Let's look at it together today and see and learn how we can move forward in worship as a church and as followers of Jesus. And my prayer today is that the Holy Spirit of God would impress these truths upon your soul, would etch them into your consciousness and allow you to remember them forever and ever and ever and ever. If you're taking notes here this morning, just mark out there in the margin of your Bible. You can write there in the page of your journal. If you need to, pull out that Zaxby's napkin, not the one that has the sauce or the snot on it. Uh, pull out the clean Zaxby's napkin and take a few. The, the weather changed a little bit. It started making everybody's nose run, right? And, uh, but just mark there on the clean Zaxby's napkin a, a few little notes this morning. Number one, ask the question, what is true worship? Just, just jot that down there. I'm going to answer it. What is true worship? Because this woman knew about worship, but she did not understand true worship. Look in verse 19. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And so she brings up the subject of worship, even though she knows very little about it. Now, she knew about religion, and religion had been a complete failure in her life. And so it's crazy how this woman decides to get into an argument with the living Lord Jesus about worship here at this well uh, this day. I told the other services growing up in Milan, Tennessee, which is a little small town north of Jackson, First Baptist Church sat on the right side, if you're, if you're looking, uh, uh, what is it, north, uh, if you're looking north, south, actually, on the right side of Main Street, uh, Milan Church of Christ was on the other side of Main Street. And, uh, and so how many of y'all, under, everybody raised Church of Christ here? Anybody raised Church of Christ? Anybody familiar with the Church of Christ? So, uh, the, the Church of Christ don't believe you ought to have any musical instruments in your worship service. No hymn, no, no, no pianos, no, no, no guitars, no drums, uh, certainly no electric things like that. Uh, you ought to have your voice and a hymnal, and that's it. And they also believe in baptismal regeneration, that you're not saved until you get dumped. Uh, and so um, First Baptist was on one side of the street. Milan Church of Christ was on the other side of the street, which played out every day in the uh, lunchroom at Milan High School. The kids from First Baptist, we sat on one side of the table. The kids from uh, Milan Church of Christ sat on the other side of the table. And we solved all the theology problems that have ever been brought up in history. We talked about worship. We talked about pianos. We talked about hymnals. We talked about screens. We talked about drums and all of those sorts of things. And we argued every single day over our school pizza, which by the way is the best pizza anywhere. Can I get an amen right there? 
And so we would argue over school pizza that you would dip in ketchup every day, uh, every single day, arguing there across the lunch table. That's what this woman was doing with Jesus. She, she said, you know, you Jews say that the only place to worship is in Jerusalem, but we believe that our mountain is the right place to worship. So since you're a prophet, you tell me, which is the right place to worship, Jerusalem or Samaria? And you can begin to just sense a little bit of the strain and the stress in this conversation. Why? Because for the Samaritans' worship, ignorance was bliss. Look what Jesus said in verse 22. He said, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. See, the Samaritans were really passionate about their worship but completely ignorant about true worship. And it reminds me of some of the people I see online today and memes on social media and, and, and even some TV shows that I watch. There are people today in their worship who have a whole lot of heat but have very, very little light because they're like these, 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 this woman here and the Samaritans. They, they don't understand true worship. See, the Samaritans, you need to understand the reason why they had ignorant worship is because they had rejected all but the first five books of the Bible. And they thought that their place and their way was the only way to worship. And again, kind of like what we see on, uh, on some social media and some TV shows today. There are people who are passionate in their expressions of worship, but are who, com who are completely clueless to the essence and the experience of true worship. That's what the Samaritans had. For the Samaritans, ignorance, their worship, ignorance was bliss. But then on the other hand, for the Jews, their worship was cold and dead. Jesus was talking to some religious folks one day, and he said over in Mark chapter 7, the Bible says, He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Again, that's the way it is for a lot of folks uh, today. On one side, you have passionate ignorance on the other side you have dead orthodoxy on one side you have heat but no light on the other side you have light but no heat on one side you have fanaticism on the other side you have formalism and i'm just telling you today it does not have to be that way you do not have to choose between passionate heresy and dead orthodoxy you can experience vibrant life-changing, spirit-filled worship. A.W. Tozer put it this way. He said, true worship, worship that is pleasing to God, radiates throughout a person's entire life. And so when you can move from the either-or to the both-and in regard to worship, that's when you're going to quit having to endure worship. You can actually begin to enjoy true worship. Why? Well, because again, the greatest good, the highest honor, the ultimate privilege is to worship God in spirit and in truth. That's what Jesus said to the shady lady of Samaria, picking up in verse 23. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. You got your Bible still out there? I mean, you got your Bible still out there? Is your app still open? Circle the word worship. Highlight the, the, the word worship there in your app. Jesus uses it here five times in two verses. That lets us know it's pretty important, all right? What does it mean? Our English word worship comes from an old Anglo-Saxon word, worth ship. So in other words, 
What we worship is considered worthy. It's considered valuable. Worship deals with worth, how precious something is to you. You show me how you worship, and I'll tell you what you think of God. Warren Wiersbe said that worship is giving all that I am to all that God is. That's what worship is. Worship is more than a church service. You know, a lot of times we talk about worship, and it's just what happens in here. Worship is more than just a church service. Worship is more than just music and songs. Worship is more than candles and incense. Worship is giving all that I am to all that God is. Blaise Pascal hit the nail on the head when he said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person, and it can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God made known through Jesus Christ. Did you know that man is incurably religious? Did you know that? He is. Man is going to worship something or somebody. You give him enough time, enough space, enough room, man is going to worship something or somebody. Idols of stone or gold, sports teams, family members, dreams and goals, power and influence, sex and pleasure. Man is incurably religious and man is going to worship something or somebody. You say, well, how do I know if it's right or wrong? Watch this right here. Anything that you love more, fear more, serve more, give more, think about more, care about more than God is the idol you worship. It got quiet in here, didn't it? Anything that you love more, serve more, care, think about more than God is the idol that you worship. There's not a bigger sin than the sin of idolatry. That's why God put it first. You go back to the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, God gets started. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. The Greek word here for worship is the word that means to bow down. You're not supposed to do that to anybody but God. Nobody but God. So pay attention. Carved images and created icons are no substitute for real worship of the creator God of the universe. Carved images and created icons are no substitute for real true worship of the creator God of this universe. And so the first question is, what is true worship? It is worshiping God in spirit and in truth. But then the second question there on your Zaxby's napkin is, well, why should we worship? Look in verse 23. Jesus said, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Why do we worship? Here's the answer. Because that's what God wants. That's what the Father seeks, Jesus says. God is seeking for worshipers. Why? Well, God wants us to worship him because it changes us. We become like what we worship. That goes for right worship and wrong worship. It, it's true positively and it's true negatively. Positively, the more you worship God, the more like God you'll become. Anybody here, were you raised in the country? Can I see your hands? I know you had a lot of city slickers here today, but anybody here, you were blessed to be raised in the country. Can I see your hands? See, when I was raised in the country, we, we didn't have gas lines run to our house. We barely had electricity. We got toilet paper about halfway through. I'm just, I'm just kidding. 
So we didn't have propane heaters and all those. We, 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 had, a, we had a fireplace insert. We had a stove insert that, that heated most of our house. Anybody here, were you raised with a, with a fireplace or a, a wood stove that you heated your house? Can I see it? Yeah. So you, you understand. So you get up in the morning like today. It's a cold, nasty morning. You get up, you go in there, you open up the, the, the doors, and, and you, you kind of get this metal thing, and you stir it around in there, and you see if there's any uh, coals or embers left, and you, you go ahead and you, you scoop out some of the ashes to get it out of the way, and then you, you, you put some uh, kindling in there, and then you begin to stack wood on top as it begins to, and then you have this metal thing, got a little, little pointy in on one side, a little hook right here. What, what's that thing called? What's it called? What, what does it do? Yeah, pokes. Just want to make sure you knew. And so you have this thing called a poker. And you stick that poker in there and you move it around and, you, you get, and, and the fire gets going. And if you leave that poker in that fire long enough, before long the fire gets in the poker. The poker's in the fire, but if you leave it in there, then the fire gets in the poker, begins to glow red hot. That's the way it is with worship. Positively, the more you worship God, the more like God you'll become. Negatively, take, take a statue or an icon of some false pagan god or even a false god like a sports icon or a celebrity. First man molds the idol, then the idol molds the man. You become like what you worship. Paul said to the church at Corinth, he said, but we all with an unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's what worship does. As your mind thinks about God and as your heart loves God and as your your mouth praises God and as your whole being worships God, guess what? You become more and more and more like God. Did you know that psychologists and psychologists, or psychologists and sociologists, rather, they say that the longer a husband and wife are married, the more they begin to look like each other. Yeah, I, I heard that. See, for some of y'all, you're going, yes! Others, you're going, uh-uh. I told Kim, I told that Kim to Kim one day, and she wasn't real happy about that. The longer you're married and you begin to look more like more, that's the way it is with worship. The more you worship, the more you begin to look like God. God wants us to worship him because it changes us. But then on the other side, God wants us to worship him because it pleases him. Look in verse 23. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. Big time important. Big time important. Don't miss this. You see the word Father? Raise your hand. You see the word Father? Despite what you've been told, Father isn't what God is like. He's not like your daddy up there in heaven, keeping an eye on you like your daddy used to do from the front porch when you're playing with your buddies in the yard. Father is what he is. It's not what he's like, it's what he is. And if you misunderstand the fatherhood of God, you're going to miss a main truth of the Bible. Why do I say that? Because father was Jesus' favorite term for God in all the New Testament. He used it over 70 times in the Gospels alone. And the word in the picture of father helps you and I to understand who he is and what he does and why he does what he does. See, your finite human mind, my finite human mind, 
cannot fully and finally understand the attributes of the infinite God. We really cannot fully understand omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, omnibenevolence. We really can't fully understand his eternality, his immutability, his unity, his sovereignty. Some theologians who write a bunch of books may think that and want you to get the idea that they do understand, but they cannot really I don't think that we can really even start to scratch the surface of comprehending the attributes and qualities of the person and the nature of God. But you can understand how a father can love his children and desires for his children to love him. What does a father want? A father wants love. His father wants his child to love him. That's, that's what the word seeking means. It's more than just hide and seek. Did they play hide and seek at your house? My kids still play hide and seek. We call it manhunt. And so every night, my kids are out there way after dark. They're playing hide and seek, manhunt, whatever. That, that's not what this word means. This word here has to do with desire. A father wants love. So Father's Day, Father's Day. Not nearly as big as Mother's Day. Right, guys? Yeah, you know it. You want to say it out loud. You want me to give you a place to say it? Father's Day is not nearly as big as Mother's Day, is it? Yeah, y'all got scared chicken. <laughs> but everybody wants to know, what do you get, Dad, for Father's Day? He doesn't want a tie. He certainly doesn't want socks or underwear. Camo is always good. Grill stuff is always good. And so you're trying to figure out, what, what, what do I get? get dad? You, know, you know what a dad wants? You know what a dad wants? He wants love. That's what he wants more than anything else. What can you give God this morning? You might not be able to sing like Michael W. Smith. You might not be able to sing, or rather, you might not be able to give as much money as R.G. Letourneau. You might not be able to preach like Billy Graham. You may not be able to give up your life and move to the other side of the world and serve as a missionary like Lottie Moon. But I've got some really good news for you this morning. You can love God as good or better than anybody else, and that's what God wants more than anybody else. He wants you to love him. He wants you to love him. It's pretty good news. What does God want? The Father is seeking such to worship Him. That's what worship does. It makes us more like God. It brings pleasure to God's heart. The third question, the last one is this. How should we worship? Well, Jesus tells us, beginning of verse 23 again, but the hour is coming, and now he is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus is having the most important conversation on the subject of worship that he ever had while he, while he was here upon this planet with this woman at the well, she is clueless. She has no idea how significant this conversation is. She really has no idea of the meaning of this moment. Why? Because for her, ignorance is bliss. And she had experienced the passion and heresy of her Samaritan worship. She was very well aware of the dead orthodoxy of, of Jewish worship, but she didn't understand how to experience or express true worship. It's found in that little simple statement. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. We must worship in spirit. That, that, that means your human spirit. In other words, your worship comes from deep down inside of you. 
Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Watch this right here. True worship. Are y'all still there this morning? Is, is, is it raining? Is it going to, so true worship comes from our human spirit when it's been energized by the Holy Spirit. That's why the only ones who have, who have been saved, only those who have been saved and filled with the Spirit of God can offer the kind of worship that pleases God. Maybe you're here today and you're one of those ones who endures worship instead of enjoying worship you come in here every you know I, I get it you know there's two types of people who came to church today those who couldn't wait to get in those who can't wait to get out and the thing is from up here I know which ones you are and just for you I'm going 10 minutes longer <laughs> but if you're one of those ones who endures worship instead of enjoying worship you know your problem your problem is not with the song selection. Your problem is not the church service. Your problem very likely has to do with your spirit. Well, I like, I get it. We all have our likes. Did you know that I have preferences and you have preferences? Did you know that? You say, I don't have preferences. I'm right. No, you're, you have preferences. You have preferences from everything from the kind of shoes you wear to the kind of chicken you like. Chick-fil-A, Bojangles, or Zaxby's. You have preferences all the way down to the style of worship you prefer. And what I've learned is, is that when my spirit is right with God, I can worship anywhere. I can worship in any service. I, I've, I've been, one, one Christmas Eve, I went to an, a, a Christmas Eve Episcopal service, downtown Columbia. I've never been anything like that in my life. But I could still worship because they're talking about Jesus. I've been to some crazy camp meetings, and y'all know what I'm talking about. I went to a camp meeting up in the hills of North Carolina one day, and one of my former staff guys took me up there and said, you've got to see this place. This camp meeting is going on. So I went to this camp meeting. A 90-year-old man, brush arbor, 90-year-old man jumps up, grabs the, grabs the beam of this brush arbor, jumps up, swings his feet up over the top of it, swings back and forth. But you know, I can still worship there. Running laps, I can still worship there. I can worship in a small church with 15 people singing out of a red hymnal on just an out-of-tune piano as much as I could have worshipped when I was on staff at Bellevue with a 400-person choir and 9,000 people in the room. You know why? Because worship, my worship, is not determined by what's out there. My worship is determined by what's in here. We must worship in spirit, but then lastly, we must worship in truth because True worship is not based on emotionalism. True worship that pleases God is built and based on the truth of God's word. Psalm 145 verse 18, the Bible says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. Again, Adrian Rogers, my pastor, put it this way. Your worship will never rise above your knowledge of God based on the truth of his word. How much Bible is there in your worship? How much Bible is in your heart as you sing? 
Our worship must be word-based. It must be both biblical and spiritual. That's what Jesus said, spirit and truth. That means that true worship is the intelligent, passionate response of our heart to God as he's revealed in the pages of the Bible. Psalm 47 verse 7 puts it this way. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. That's a pretty good verse for all of our folks involved in the music and worship ministry to memorize. Sing praises with understanding. So when you wrap all this up, how should this morning's message impact your worship? How do you put all this together and move forward in worship this year? So I've got pretty, I don't have a, I don't have a photographic memory, but it's pretty close. But what I hear, I never forget. If I'm actually, uh, and I was thinking last night, I was trying to finish this sermon up. Where am I going to land this plane? And there was this quote that kept jumping in my mind. And my father in the ministry is James Merritt. And I'm thinking, I think it was James. I think James said it, but I think he quoted William Temple. William Temple was the famous Archbishop of Canterbury. He talks about worship, and here's how he defines worship. He defines worship as quickening the conscience by the holiness of God, feeding the mind with the truth of God, purging the imagination by the beauty of God, opening the heart to the love of God, and devoting the will to the purpose of God. That's worship. Now, did you notice what I've talked about very little today? And it's kind of something with John just starting, what, last week, and then uh, Jonathan. And then, have you noticed what, what I've just, I hadn't, I hadn't talked much about music or singing, have I? You want to know why? Because that's not the essence of worship, that's the expression of worship. We, we get it backwards. We think, well, if I can just sing, I can worship. No, if you'll worship, you'll actually sing. And so I, I, I want to give it where I could just give it to you. So I compiled and combined everything this morning into four little words. Will you write this down there one, one, one last time? Four little words. Just write this down there somewhere. You're going to make John's life a whole lot easier if you'll just write these four little words down there and just remember them. The first word is No. K-N-O-W, no. Why? Because in order to worship God, you've got to know God. He's got to be your father. You've got to have a personal relationship with God if you're going to be able to worship him. If you don't know him, all you are is going through the motions like some pagan. If you've got to know God, and then once you have a personal relationship and you know him as father, he knows you as child, then... You've got to think. You know, then you think. What's that mean? You think about him. You get to know him through his word, who he is, how he operates, what he desires. You know him as father, and then you get to know as you think about him, you're, you're thinking about who, and, and then as a result of that comes love. You know him. You have a personal relationship with him. You think on him and his attributes and his qualities. And then as a result of that, you love him. He's your father. You, you love him. He loves you. And then as a result of that, 
you break forth in praise. Know, think, love, praise. You know the way most of you guys, all of us, we wake up on Sunday mornings, it's a cold, nasty day like it was today. You've already hit your snooze button 15 times. You're already late. That's why you're in the second service today, right? You get up in a frantic rush. You're yelling and screaming at the kids, get dressed. You should have ironed this last night. Put on deodorant. Brush your teeth. Get in the car. We're going to church to worship God. You pull into the parking lot on two wheels, all the doors, boom, and all of a sudden there's an usher there, and you look, well, good morning, brother. <laughs> so good to be in God's house. Yeah, we actually have it recorded on video. You just don't know it. And then you come in here hoping to try to get into the spirit of worship. It's not the way it's supposed to be, guys. Every single morning, you're to get up and spend time with him. Every single day, you're supposed to spend time with him. When you get up in the morning, you're reading. You're learning more about him. You're, you're spending time with him. He wants to spend time with you. We talked about that over the last couple of weeks. And you get up on Sunday morning, and you're already singing. You're, there's songs in your heart because you know him. You love him. You're thinking about him. And when you come in here, we're not having to dig, a, dig out of a hole. You're already primed and ready to go because you didn't come to worship. You brought your worship with you. I'd get to the pulpit a whole lot quicker if y'all just do that. Right? But if at the beginning of 2023, when it comes to worship, if you will know that you have a personal relationship with Jesus, if you will think on who, who God is and how great he is, how good he's been to you, think about how he's redeemed you, how he saved you, how he, how he and then as a result of that, you love him and then you praise and that's how you can move forward together in worship this year.